I want to remind you guys about our resource wall. All, all of those books are free. There are some new ones up there over the last couple of weeks, so if you haven't taken a look at the resource wall in a while, uh, get over there and take a look. There's some good um, books there for you, as well as some good resources for people who you might be trying to share the truth with. There are three books there. There's a red one, a black one, and a white one uh, that just simply explain the gospel, who Jesus is, and why the Bible can be trusted, and why we hold it as the authority of God's Word. So uh, grab those books. Again, they're free. You don't have to pay anything for them. Uh, you can read them and hand them off to somebody else, or you can put them in your own library. We will continue to replenish those. Uh, we just want you to have information and the knowledge of what Scripture is revealing so you can love and serve Christ uh, better and better in your life. Uh, a couple of announcements as we begin for us as well as for you online. Hello, I'm glad that you've joined us. Uh, I want to remind everyone about the Connect cards. So in front of you, there are some cards that you can fill out during the sermon or through our time of worship. Um, it, we would love for you to do that, you online. You can do it digitally. Uh, there is a, a button there below where the sermon will pop up where you can actually uh, fill that out so we can know what's going on in your life, so we can know how we can pray for you or how we might be able to serve you in this time. It's really a, a tool for us to know uh, how we can uh, continue to, to, to lead our church well and be with one another as the body. Also a reminder that we have a members meeting coming up on uh, November 22nd, so all of you members, please put that on your calendar and be here. It'll be at 5 o'clock. We'll have some, uh, some food and some celebration as well as we'll look at what God has done over this last year and what he's going to hopefully be doing for us and providing for us next year. Uh, if you haven't uh, had your member interview, if you've gone to the Foundations class, reach out to me. We've got four elders who would love to meet with you and talk to you uh, about membership, what that means here at Maranatha. Uh, and if you haven't done that either and you haven't been in a Foundations class and you want to join the church, we're going to have another one of those coming up soon, okay? So if you would now, uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 16. This is where we're going to be today, John chapter 16. Um, Last week, I mentioned uh, that this week and last week's sermon is, uh, in a way, connected to each other in what I sort of said was a, a two-part mini-series kind of found in the middle of these four very theologically concentrated chapters. And I did that because last week and this week are really the final times in John's gospel that Jesus teaches on the purpose of the Holy Spirit's coming. He's tying them uh, really together, uh, why the, what, what the purpose is of the Holy Spirit's coming. Last week, Jesus taught us about the natural opposition of the world towards the church. Right, we talked about uh, with the question, why does the world hate Christians? We talked about the natural opposition of the world towards the church. And this week, in chapter 16, verses 4 through 15, Jesus is going to teach us how the Holy Spirit works in and through the church. All right, so today we're looking at how the Holy Spirit works in and through the church. So if you would stand with me in reverence for God's Word, and I will read, you can follow along either in your Bibles or up on the screen, John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your, to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment." Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you all the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Have a seat. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. We can come and hear your word uh, uh, taught. We thank you for your spirit that gives us ears to hear, uh, that causes us to believe, uh, and brings us closer into an understanding of of who you are as we continue to fall deeper in love with you as as we are then called into service of you. Lord, be with us as a church here at Maranatha. I know that there's a lot that goes on in the world outside of Sunday mornings, and I I know that we all wrestle with those uh, burdens that we bear to uh, serve in the life that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that in this moment that we can worship you, that we can hear from you, and that we can recognize that we possess your spirit and that we are sealed for salvation and that that life that we've been given has a purpose, and that is what uh, can drive us in this life. Lord, I love you. I know that our church loves you. I'm grateful that you've planted us here in this area to proclaim your gospel and raise you up on high because you are the one worthy of our worship. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so last week I talked about how the sermon was divided into two parts, but I divided that sermon into three parts, and I think sort of the same thing would be helpful for us today with these now 12 verses. So this is how I'll break down Uh, these verses. One, we'll see the self-centered sorrow of the disciples. Two, the working purpose of the Spirit. And three, the eternal authority and truth of God's Word. So the sorrowful, uh, the self-centered sorrow of the disciples, the working purpose of the Spirit, and the eternal authority and truth of God's Word. So like last week, the first part would be first. Right? So let's look again at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Jesus says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Now, remember that, I'll pause there. Remember, Jesus had just laid out for them and for us in turn that the true disciples will face, true disciples will face hatred and opposition from the world as we stand for Jesus who is the Son of God, and as we stand up for and depend upon God's word of truth. So there is natural opposition from the world that's what's going on. And Jesus says, I didn't tell you about all this because I was with you, verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where I'm going. Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if it did not go away, the helper would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, on the surface, this part of the passage can seem a bit confusing because of what Jesus says here. He is continuing on in this in his final discourse to his disciples, right? He's unpacking all of these theological truths for them before he leaves, and he's doing this. But here he's sort of circling back to a lot of the things that he's already taught, the things that he's already uh, sort of expounded to them. But then he says something which, again, at first could sound untrue. 
which can kind of confuse us. In verse 5, Jesus says again that he must go to the one who sent him. That would be obviously God the Father. But then he says that none of his disciples are asking, where is he going? He says, I must leave, and none of you are asking where he is going. Now, remember, the gospel account uh, is this, this gospel account, every letter in the New Testament is, is written like a letter, and therefore it is often meant to be read like a letter. We're meant to, to sort of be read in as a whole, sort of taken in in one breath. The reader who's taking the gospel narrative in that moment is sort of to, to read from start to finish. And with that kind of clarity that would take place in that practice of start to finish, they might recognize and say to themselves, wait a minute, why would Jesus say nobody asked where he was going when it was obvious that the disciples honestly did? Right back in chapter 13 and 14, if you remember, Peter and Thomas both ask Jesus, where are you going? So why is Jesus saying this? Why is Jesus saying this now? Because they ask this very question, but there's a difference. There's a difference here and why Jesus brings it up. Yes, the disciples did utter those words, but like most things in our life, it's the motivation of our heart that really tells us what we're seeking after. So we have to look at the disciples. Both Peter and Thomas did utter those words, but they were more concerned with Jesus leaving them than with where Jesus was going. Do you see the difference? The disciples were more concerned with Jesus leaving them than with Jesus and where he was actually going. The disciples were focused on what they might lose than by what it meant for Jesus to go. And it's in their motivation that we can see then their self-centeredness, which leads them inevitably into sorrow. You see, Jesus for a time, Jesus tells them this, Jesus for a time has protected them. He's protected them from persecution and opposition um, of the world that was being poured out by the world. He protected them because mainly the world's hatred was centered on him. Right? All of the persecution of the frustration from the Pharisees and the, and the people who were, who were are trying to understand what Jesus was teaching, their persecution and hatred was focused on Jesus. But now, because Jesus has to go, he tells them what it is going to be like for them here once he's left. So, they obviously had some questions. Do you remember as we've been walking through the Gospel of John, do you remember what is essentially swirling through the minds of the disciples at this moment? Right, We've had to sort of break this down into pieces, but again, this is meant to be read start to finish. Do you, do you remember what is swirling around in the disciples' minds at this time? There had to have been questioning, wait, Jesus is leaving? Isn't this Jesus supposed to be this promised Messiah? Isn't he going to be the one who, who, who rids us of this Roman oppression? Why is he leaving? Where is this guy going? Again, the disciples were still self-absorbed with what they could only see with their eyes. They were self-absorbed with what they could only see with their eyes. Jesus' question, or what he was trying to get at, wasn't about this world, it was about him and his returning to the Father. Now, to be fair, we also have to recognize that the disciples at this time, in this part of the gospel narrative, in this timeline, the disciples are living 
pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection. They didn't have a category yet like we do post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, post-New Testament. They didn't have a category for how the promised Messiah could be simultaneously a conquering king, a suffering and dying servant, the actual sacrificial high priest, and a resurrected Lord. They didn't grasp all of those things all at once. But like Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 28, if you loved me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father. You would rejoice because I'm leaving you, is what he said back in John 14. Jesus had to die for his purpose and ordained life and ministry to be completed. If Jesus didn't leave, the Holy Spirit wouldn't be able to come and, 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 and dwell in the people of God in a way to teach them all things about God. Jesus knew that his disciples, like us, were focused more on their own happiness and well-being. Jesus knew that they were more focused on their comfort and popularity. They were more focused on their status and accomplishments when they should have been rejoicing that Jesus was leaving to go and be with the Father in heaven. They should have been rejoicing that Jesus was leaving to go and be with the Father in heaven. Finally, finally, for Jesus, he would be able to return to his rightful seat of glory. This is why they should be rejoicing, because of who Christ is. He'd be able to return back to the seat of glory and honor that was his, which he stepped away from to come to this world to rescue us from God's right and justifiable wrath over our sin. He left the throne for you and me, and now when he leaves, when his, his, his mission is complete, he gets to return back to the seat of glory that rightfully is his. We should be rejoicing in who he is. Every one of us then should be asking, recognizing the disciples' heart and the motivation of how they're acting and how we should be looking at Jesus Christ and honoring and glorifying, rejoicing the fact that he is no longer here on this earth. All of us have to ask how then are we so self-absorbed? In your life, how are you so self-absorbed? What are we focusing on that is secondary? What are we focusing on that is secondary when we, the church, should be focused on honoring and obeying the one who has sent us into the world? Right? That was Jesus' whole purpose was to honor and, and, and glorify the Father by completing His will because He is the one who sent the Son. And we too should be focused on honoring and obeying the one who has sent us into the world, which is Jesus Christ. Now, it's true, and I think it's okay for us, so we don't have to just lay aside all of our concerns. I think it's right and true for us in this world to realize that this world can take up a lot of our energy as we try to manage our way through it. This world isn't easy for us to live through. It's okay to be honest about the fact that this world takes up a lot of our strength to wade through. It's not wrong to identify what's making our hearts sorrowful, like the disciples. But we also have to remember to apply right truth to our life. We have to take what is true and apply it correctly to our life. The good news here, the good news is that we've been given a helper to lead us into that truth. 
We don't have to find it for ourselves. Christ has given us a helper to lead us in that truth. The good news is that Jesus Christ did complete his mission, right? It has been completed. It has been fulfilled. He completed his mission. And we who believe are promised salvation through faith alone in him alone, right? Amen. That is what we are given. That's the, 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 essentially the summarization of the gospel, faith alone in him alone. And with that, we've also been, have a promised guarantee of the indwelling Holy Spirit who secures and seals our life for salvation and also provides our life with purpose. Doesn't that motivate you? You've been given life, that you have assurance of life, but with that life, you've also been given a purpose. We don't just exist here. We've been given a purpose. The Holy Spirit secures the church, but he also works in and through the church. Verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus is telling us that the Holy Spirit is coming. He has given. This is, we're talking in that timeline that he has come. But the Holy Spirit comes, and when he comes, he will convict the world. This word convict here means to bring to light, to expose, to put to shame, to cross-examine, to refute. Jesus is saying that one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit's coming is to expose and convince the world of its unbelief. And the third part of the Trinity does that through the church. This conviction of the Holy Spirit comes to us in three parts, or comes through the church in three parts. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, again, fundamentally because they don't, or because they are lost in unbelief. If they had believed, they would have listened to Christ's word, they would have listened to the Spirit about their guilt, and they would then repent of their sin and turn to Jesus Christ. You with me? Anyone who follows after Christ, anyone who claims Christianity, should have repented of their ways in the world and turned and followed after Christ. We said it last week, you cannot have one foot in the world and one foot with Christ. We need to understand what this means for us. This conviction is not about individual sins that people commit. This conviction that we're talking about is about unbelief. It is not individual sins that a person might commit. Yes, of course, those are wrong. Yes, we should not sin. That is not the call. That is not what I'm saying. Individual sins are against the Lord. They are what they are, but they are outward expressions from what motivates our heart. Our individual sins are outward expressions of what is motivating our heart. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of unbelief in the person of Jesus Christ. That is what condemns the person. Unbelief in Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know that that's true? How do we know that that's true practically? Well, listen to this. A person could completely clean up their life, right? They can get rid of every single bad habit that they think that they are committing and they still could be lost. They still could not have faith in Christ and go to hell. 
There are people that are kinder than all of us. There are people who are more generous than all of us. There are people who are more moral than all of us, but they may be without, well, they will be without faith in Christ, lost and condemned to hell. Outward action does not guarantee inward transformation. Outward action does not guarantee inward transformation. Verse 10, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Spirit convicts the world of its own righteousness by pointing to the righteousness of Christ. We'll only recognize that we need a Savior when we realize that we are in need of saving Every one of us has this sort of fictitious line that we draw in the sand and we say, this is the line that a person will not cross if they're going to lead a moral life. Every one of us has that fictitious line and we all have a tendency to feel pretty good about ourselves when we stand on this side of our own expectations. But in this moment, we need to be honest with ourselves. How often does the truth expose us? How often does the truth expose us, the truth that we actually can't even, we don't even live up to our own expectations? The world's attempt at being good enough for God, we talk to somebody, be like, do you think you're going to heaven? Yes, why? Because I'm a good person. Our attempt, the world's attempt at being good enough for God stinks in his nose. Our deeds stink in the nose of the Lord. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. The contrast here is obviously, again, the righteousness of Christ. He perfectly and faithfully followed every command of the Father because he perfectly and faithfully loved the Father. While Christ was here, his life and ministry was the example for a righteous life. His life and ministry, the way he lived, is our example for a righteous life. He was the light in the world that was meant to expose the world for what it was. But since he's no longer in the world... The Spirit has been sent to continue that work of convincing the world of its darkened nature, right? So Jesus came to expose the truth of the world, but since he is no longer here, he sends the Spirit as a way to continue on his work in exposing or convicting or convincing the world of its darkened nature. And the Spirit does that. He reveals Christ to the world through the lives of Christ's disciples, his church, Maranatha. He must use the church because the unbelieving world cannot see him and they cannot receive him. They can't see him and they can't receive him. They are, as Ephesians tells us, dead in their trespasses and sins. They're dead. They can't respond. You call out to a dead person on the floor, they will not respond to you. They must be first given life. They are dead in their trespasses. In fact, it's just as Paul says in Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. But before we go too far, let us not boast in ourselves 
Because without the Father choosing us, us who have faith, without him choosing us to give to Christ, we too would be lost to this world that is darkened. But now, thankfully, praise the Lord, we do possess salvation. We do possess the indwelling Spirit of God. And even though the world can't see and receive the Holy Spirit, they can see what He does in our lives as we continue on in this world as the church, those of us who are part of Christ's family. They can't see and understand the things of the Spirit, but they can see and recognize how He works in us as they watch us as we live as the church. And finally, verse 11, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The world's judgment is evil and corrupted by sin. We just have to recognize that so that we don't have to be surprised by that. This is the natural nature of our world that we live in. It is sinful, it is evil, and it is corrupt. And I've made a point from Scripture last week that the world's mind is blinded by Satan and the world's heart is blinded by our own sin or its own sin. And because both of those are true, the world, who are those who follow after their own evil desires and per Jesus' words have the spirit of disobedience at work within them, they make wrong judgment of who Jesus Christ actually is. They're being convicted of that judgment. But the Holy Spirit, who has come, who dwells within us, He teaches all things in God's word of truth to Christ's church. Right? He teaches these things to us. He, he brings about revelation for us through God's word so we can understand it and live it out. The Spirit applies and brings about that truth in the lives of us, his church. We here at Maranatha, we are who the scriptures are talking about. Let's not neglect that fact, right? Let this weigh on you personally. And practically, this is how it looks. Through our obedience to Christ's commands, we show our love for him as we abide in him. And this develops a deepening of unity in relationships within the body, which is then meant to show the world that Jesus Christ actually is who he truly is and that he's been sent by God. As we walk out this truth in this world, as the Holy Spirit applies it in our life, we develop a deeper sense of relationship and unity in the church, which then is meant, John 17, is meant to show the world that Christ is who he is and that the Father actually sent his Son. And in so doing, he the Spirit, convicts the world of their false judgment. And I can sum it up like this. I'll sum up these three points like this. When a person from the world is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he or she will see the evil and foolishness of their unbelief. He or she will confess that they don't measure up to the righteousness of Christ. He or she will repent and turn away from the world and to Christ because otherwise they know that they will be judged as one who belongs to the devil. The last bit of our passage is this. All of this convincing from the Spirit, all of this conviction from the Holy Spirit is done through the authority of God's eternal word. 
All right, all of this is laid out in the scriptures for us to understand. It's why we preach the way we preach. I'm not up here trying to give you moral platitudes so you can follow after me. I'm a, a sinner like you. We depend on the eternal word, the inerrant word of God. Verse 12, it says this. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine, therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Jesus didn't go on teaching because there was no way that his disciples could know what they could not know without God's knowledge. Right? He laid all of these things out and he tells them, you're not going to understand this until later on. And then he says, I'm not going to teach you any longer because you're not going to understand what I have to say to you. How often in our life we recognize this, we just can't know what we don't know. These disciples couldn't know what they didn't know because they didn't have the knowledge of God. They couldn't comprehend Jesus' death. They couldn't fathom how he could die and how he could come back to life. They, didn't, uh, they wouldn't be able to grasp where Jesus actually went at his time of ascension. They couldn't understand these things, at least not until the spirit of truth came at Pentecost and then guided them into that truth right? He's the one who brings illumination there. Therefore, the only one qualified to reveal this divine truth to the church is the Holy Spirit, for he knows all things of God because he is God. We need to understand this. This is part of the doctrine of the Trinity. He is the one who has authority. He is the one who has the, the ability and the right and is qualified to reveal the things of the truth in Scripture for us because he knows all the things of God because he is God. And I said briefly last week that the disciples were to bear witness about the truth of Jesus Christ by writing the new covenant testimony of Jesus and they could do this because of the Spirit, because they were empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' promise is that the Holy Spirit will lead his church in that truth. The Word was given to us as a way to understand and learn who Christ is so we can glorify him. And the Spirit is going to lead us with this truth, which is why the Bible, because it comes from the Spirit, is inerrant. It comes from God. It is His truth. He cannot lie. That is why we believe and we understand that it is the inerrant authority and why it is all we need for everything pertaining to life and godliness. We talked about the sorrows of this world and how we can be honest about them. Well, we have God's Word, so we have a way, a vessel to sort of wade our, through, our way through this world. The leading of the Holy Spirit will never contradict biblical truth. Anything written down in our Bible, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to contradict or to do anything that is against God's word of truth. The Holy Spirit's purpose in and through the church is to glorify Jesus Christ by illuminating his truth about him. And it is the very glory of Jesus Christ 
It is the very glory of Jesus Christ, which the Holy Spirit uses to mold and transform us into the image of Christ. In your life, what truly has led you in repentance? Is it relationships of a friend or a family member? No, it's the grace of God. It's recognizing Christ's righteousness. It's recognizing who he truly is and why we should follow. The Spirit uses the very glory of Christ to to, to transform us as we are moved into the likeness of his Son. Everyone in this world wants to experience something that could be declared as power. Everyone wants to experience something that they would define as powerful. The Bible informs us that the very power which raised Jesus Christ from the dead now resides in us and he delivers us to all of those spiritual blessings that are promised to us in the heavenly places. That's power. And that dwells within us. It is what motivated or led Jesus to do what he did as well as raised him from the dead and now indwells in us. And the way that we understand these blessings that are given to us is through our study of God's word. So don't neglect it. Don't neglect this word that teaches us all the things that we need to know about Christ, about life and godliness. We don't study the word so we can argue with people. We study the Word so we can see Christ. We don't study the Word so we can show off our intellect, but because it's as James says, it is able to save our souls. It's able to save our souls because it, again, teaches us about Jesus Christ. I will harp on it all day long. It is what we proclaim here at Maranatha, Christ and Christ crucified. As we witness with our lives in this hostile world, we use the word which the Spirit teaches us to share Jesus Christ with those who are yet still blind, who are yet still lost in the darkness. It is the church's job, Maranatha, it is our job to witness to this truth, and it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. I pray that we all take our job Seriously. If you would pray with me, please. Father, thank you for the purpose in this life. Thank you for using sinners. Thank you for using people who were against your son before we were saved. Lord, thank you for reconciling us to the Father, to you through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, help us as we continue to walk this out, as we process this this truth in our life, Lord. It's not always easy to to digest it all at once. But I pray that we do the, the hard work of following after your son, listening to the Spirit and confessing before one another and walking out repentance with one another. Lord, be with us as we continue to go about our day and into the week. We love you and thank you for this church that is yours. It's in your son's name we pray. In the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.